This episode of the podcast, we discuss Liverpool Football Club. We review their season, we discuss the key moments, the late winners, the big games, and all the drama. I'm joined by Sam, who's making a return to the podcast after featuring in the Premier League preview show. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today we are having a champion celebration. It is the Liverpool season review. I'm joined by Sam. Sam, huge Liverpool fan. Your day's going good. You're beat. You've beaten Newcastle. To talk to me, what's what's going on? Love and life. Going well. Ninety nine points. Winners. Can't complain in the slightest. First time in my lifetime. So well chuffed over the moon. I want a beer to celebrate. <laughs> And favourite moment of the season? What would be your favourite standout one moment from this season so far? We'll say so far, mm-hmm. she's finished. I'd say beating City and Anfield. Obviously going so close last year, a lot of the narrative was about Liverpool missing out by one point. But in theory, the, inev- the, the eventual winners took four points off Liverpool that season. So I suppose actually beating them in Anfield was putting down a real statement of intent this year to go one further. So it's definitely one of the most standout uh, moments for me. Yeah, absolutely huge moment. And we'll talk about that game when we come to the fixtures and I'm assuming we'll bring this up and dive into it a little bit. But a couple of little random facts for you. You sealed the, tr- you sealed the, the league this year whenever Chelsea drew with Man City. Chelsea have had a very random habit of showing up in being maybe a decisive factor in leagues. In 1986, Dalglish scored the winner at Stamford Bridge to win the league that year for Liverpool. They cost Spurs the league against Leicester. Now they've cost City the league against Liverpool. They effectively, they effectively maybe cost you the league title. They were a massive factor in it in the Brendan Rodgers year. Um, oh, massively, yeah. Did you mind to wrap up the league, or was it something you wanted to do yourself on the pitch? Your first league title in 30 years, I really, out of all the permutation of potential ways of winning, I don't think any Liverpool fan cares in the slightest. Yeah. I re- you know I don't th- I th- obviously I mean I think this is this is where things can get dangerous because you start chasing you start chasing records and statistics which almost you know that put blemishes on what you've won we've won a Premier League title you know so it doesn't really make a difference at the end of the day with current circumstances you ideally want to do it in front of your own fans irrespective of whether Chelsea did it or Liverpool did it on Anfield there were no fans there anyway so I think that's that's kind of a stick people use to beat you with to try and D- diminish what you've done you've won a Premier League trophy and you know full stop yeah 100% I mean before we really delve into this season I just want to go back at a couple of Klopp's previous seasons just their final positioning in the Premier League his first full mm-hmm. season I want to start with his first full season rather than the season he took over from Brendan Rodgers finished fourth 76 points the season after that you got the Champions League final you lost to Madrid you again finished fourth, a point less than the season before, but a, ma- a big difference in the number of goals scored. I know you took the foot off the gas a little bit with the Madrid final coming up. You've done a bit of rotation and stuff. 
was that the year that you really sensed that okay we're going somewhere here or did you have that feeling before that that 17-18 season I think obviously whenever a new manager comes in I mean don't get me wrong like Rogers got us closer I mean that's we went into the final day of that season with it being mathematically possible which certainly in my lifetime is is the closest we've been yeah so you know I think there's the idea of yes you know, it was Rogers had sort of, I think, taken the squad as far as he possibly could. Um, I, I, I do like Brendan Rogers, but I mean, Liverpool's injuries that 13, 14 season, you know, everything fell for them. They had Suarez having the season of his life. They jarred in a new role. Daniel Sturridge forgot he was injured for an entire year. Yeah. He was banging them in. Everything just sort of went well. So I think there's the idea of, yes, it was good to have sort of a, a fresh blood in there, especially Rodgers coming off the back of saying a score draw at Goodison was a good result. There was a lot of dead wood that needed to be needed to be shifted and, you know, to try and re... to firstly see what you don't need in the squad, to see what you can salvage, and even before bringing in your own personnel, you're talking a minimum of three transfer windows, which is almost... A, you're looking essentially giving a new manager a buy ball for an entire year. Yeah. Um, I think so. I think it was, you know, considering how close Liverpool had come, there was obvious talk about Alexis Suarez leaving. He had his head turned by Arsenal, so you knew him going was an inevitability. The question was just when, when really. Yeah. Um, so I think to attract the manager of Klopp's calibre and somebody who's obviously had experience in winning league titles, it was definitely exciting. But I don't even think he sort of knew the the magnitude of job he had to do until his first couple of games. I mean, you're talking, there's some of the... I think there's people who look back at the Brendan Rodgers era and they'll be thinking very, very lucky to have more Liverpool shirt. Yeah, I mean, when you look back at even Klopp's first game in charge, I don't have the team sheet in front of me, but I believe there's only two players that are still at the club. One was James Milner and the other one was Adam Lallana, who's now leaving. I think other than that, majority of all those other players... I know Nathaniel Klein's technically still on the books and he was there. He started right Henderson back. Henderson maybe as well. Yeah, I don't think he was actually... I don't think he started that day. I think he was injured. But yeah, I, the stat i seen from his first game, there's only two players still, at, still presently playing for Liverpool that started that game and it was Milner and... Who was the other one who said that? It was Milner and Lallana, which, yeah. is, which says a lot. I mean, Klopp, he was back for a number of years to move players out, to bring his own players in, to create a style, to create an identity. Slight, there has been slight changes every year since he's took over, especially in terms of tactically. Like that 17-18 season, going to the Champions League final, you lost to Real Madrid. But it was one of those games... When you, I watched that game, actually, my parents. My parents flew over to Canada, and we watched that in a, in a pizza place, actually. But I remember watching it and being... Real Madrid haven't beaten Liverpool here. Mistakes have beaten Liverpool here in that final. Um, just individual errors and just silly things which you would never expect to see in a final very very unlucky that day but the 18-19 season quite possibly one of the most I know we're going to talk about it this year about being probably the best season in Liverpool's Premier League um, history but I always thought that this year last year was such an impressive season 18-19 97 points lost the league by a point winning the Champions League what what did that Champions League win do for Liverpool, for you, in your opinion? Did that revigorate them to go, let's we can go again and we can win this league title after the disappointment of being one point short? I think so. And, you know, to, to sort of link it to the likes of, if you look at Tottenham, 
uh, in that season as well. You know, you, you've been building towards something. You know, you, no, nobody predicted it would have happened, but once you sort of reach the apex of your achievements, the idea is, look, can we build and can we go further? But the other side of the coin there is that it's you're so susceptible to collapse. Um, so to get as close as we did in that year, one point off. Um, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I think that that's that's arguably the best football I've seen Liverpool play that year. You know, the, the, the games were incredibly entertaining. It was just relentless attack. But yeah. yes, to answer your question, to to after the, the disappointment and you know the the number of finals, Klopp had certainly been through as well as Liverpool. You're thinking of you know obviously Carius. Uh, versus Madrid, Alberto Moreno versus Sevilla. You're just, you know, real meltdown and uh, meltdowns and finals. It was so nice to have sort of a feeling that everything that he's done, the work he's put in, has since been justified. And obviously, winning Europe's major honour justifies it and then some. But you give, you really got the idea that they got the bit between their teeth after winning the trophy. There was a real base to kick on. And I mean, we'll discuss this later, but. You win, you win a top prize, and you start looking at your top assets, and you're thinking, okay, have they accomplished what they've wanted to accomplish? You look at Salah, Firmino, Mane. You look at the top players, and you're thinking, are they now likely to go elsewhere? But obviously, the sort of ethos he instilled in the club was that you know, we can kick on from here, and we can compete on a European and a domestic front. Yeah. And I think what helped that side of the coin, that that as well. Sorry, is I think this sort of, and I I, I use the word demise lightly. But the sort, yeah, the the regression, I suppose, of Real Madrid and Barcelona has been massive in the whole thing, because you sort of feel, irrespective of how well those clubs are performing, players are always going to have their head turned by that interest from in those clubs. Yeah. But but, but the, the interesting side is because Liverpool are performing so well, and parallel to that, those two clubs aren't performing, aren't really a force at the minute. Plus the fact that Liverpool are now in a position to compete for top trophies, it's. I don't think the club's ever been as attractive for players to come. So I think that, again, sort of lends itself to the 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 level and the infrastructure he's built there for attracting players, keeping players, and kicking on. Yeah. I have a bit of egg on my face because earlier on in the in sort of Klopp's reign at Liverpool, he was always sort of, the, as you mentioned, you talked about the final of the Sevilla, the final with Real Madrid, and and stuff like that, coming second in the league by a point. He, to me, it felt sort of a bit like a nearly man. He was always sort of the nearly man. He was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And I sort of thought, I don't know if, he's, if he really is the right man. Even after that Champions League final win against Real Madrid, I looked at your league table. I said, look, they've lost the league here by a point to City. Can they go again next season? And I thought, no. I really did. I looked at it and thought, They've came so close. It'll be so hard to pick them players up to say, come on, let's let's do it again. After finishing on 97 points, City finished on 100 points the year before, then 98. I thought City have it in them just to pick it up and go again. I don't know if Liverpool do. And now I'm sitting here looking at it and going, how wrong was I? Liverpool upped it. Not only did, did they come back and do it again, they upped it. Like Finishing on 97 points is an unbelievable achievement. But not only this year did they go and win the league, they went and beat that points tally, which is such an impressive feat, in my opinion. I think the idea is just to win the league. Again, you know, you, you start branching off in the little other aspects, which, you know, can can add to or detract from an accomplishment. At the end of the day, you know, if Man City, you know, 
won, uh, won the league on 60 points. Liverpool had 59. It doesn't really make a difference. At the end of the day, you were a point short. But to touch on what I, I'd said earlier is yeah. where I think Klopp has kicked on and has driven the players more is Liverpool's performance in the 17-18 domestic league was incredible, as was Man City's. And there's a lot of talk about how oh, Liverpool were only one point away. Man City, who won the league, took four points off Liverpool over two games. I mean, if that's your head-to-head rival, that, that's, that, that is, that's an unforgivable amount of points to be thrown away. Yeah. So I think in this year, I mean, yes, you can talk about the, the Liverpool were, I'm going to politely and politically say, well dispatched at the Etihad. But the 1-3-1 in a, in, a, in a tense and very, very impressive game at Anfield, and I think that was sort of the marker that set down, that, you know, it's, it's okay what you do to the rest of the teams, but if you're, if you're in a two-horse race, essentially, you need to be taking points and significant points off your nearest rivals. Otherwise, you'll be chasing your tail. So I think that's that, that's one of the most interesting things where, and don't get me wrong, I mean, the idea of you've had the season of your life and you've come up short, that must be impossible to pick yourself up and go again. Uh, especially, you know, it's it's not understated what sort of surplus of wealth Man, Man City have. And in addition to that, you know, when Klopp did come in, his training methods, they they were criticised. Players were breaking down, they were being injured. This his high intense, high impress uh, training was having an impact. So I think all the all the cards were there for a Liverpool burnout after that season. But you know, testament to them, he he, he didn't let them drop. They went on, and they've you know they've they've endured a long season competing on a lot of fronts. You know, playing <coughs> club. The clubs played two games, two continents, in 24 hours at the end of the day as well. So they've done a lot, and to come out of that as league league winners albeit due to a technicality, still European Cup holders, as well as two fluffy European trophies, I'd say that's a successful season. At the end of the day, when when this season started, if if you were if you were told, right, you're going to win the Premier League this year, you're going to challenge for the Premier League title, you were like, you're all over it, you're like, give me the, yeah, 100%. Liverpool fans will tell you that anyway, Potty. Yeah. You don't need to tell us that. They'll, they'll have the league one at Christmas if you ask them. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you talked about sort of fluffy trophies, and... At the end of the day, you can only beat who's in front of you. And you played in these fluffy trophies, let's put them that way as you worded it, because of something you already won. So you're not there by default. You're there because you've won something, you've achieved something. So as much as people maybe, and I would to an extent too, like they're, they're not, not, not major trophies, they're not this, they're not that. But a UEFA Super Cup win against Chelsea, a World Club win out in Qatar, there are things that... Sh- even just subconsciously to build that winning mentality like Mourinho always talked about his most important trophy at Chelsea was the first league cup and it's just about setting that little winning mentality and especially after coming up short in that league you went and won the Champions League which maybe added a bit of belief and you start the next season and you're already off to the races with a super cup win I think there's little nuances there that just set belief in players minds so I think that's almost more important than the trophy itself is just having a medal in the pocket or a little trophy in the cabinet, whether it be a, a smaller trophy or an insignificant trophy or whatever. Um, do you feel those trophies are somewhat important or do you think it's just an added bonus to anything that you do in the maybe the Champions League and the, the league, I guess? I think it, it does give you momentum going into the season, especially all, I mean, the watchful eye was on Liverpool and what the reaction was going to be this year after last year. You know, are they... Are they going to be the same flying out of the traps Liverpool with little to no regard for what went on at the back? They seem to have sured up defensively and they're a bit more 
defensively minded going forward. They've they've won games at, of narrower margins than in that year. No, I mean don't get me wrong. Like, you want to win trophies. That's the whole point of it. And it, it gets to a point though. I mean you're you're asked to play a domestic trophy in England, but your first team squads halfway across the world are playing another European trophy. You know that you've qualified for by winning another European trophy. Yeah. So it gets it gets to a point where you have to look at the whole situation and go right, which which you don't want to turn down any trophy, but at the same time you're flying halfway across the world, you're playing high intense, high press in football. If you go gung ho at all these, you're going to have an injury crisis. So you have to sort of make a decision. I mean, and yes, it did get to a stage where by by Christmas the European Cup, the Super Cup, and the Club World Cup was won. That gives that gives like phenomenal momentum, understandably. But I think you know the the ethos of Liverpool this year was we need to win the Premier League, and I think that was that was told in no subtle fashion through the camp throughout the start of the year. And as the games went on, the wins racked up. I go back to it. The win against City was enormous. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of games that we'll touch on later where you know six pointers in a very loose sense, whereas Liverpool have ground out results. And in the game that evening or the, or the Monday night following, City have dropped points, which has sort of just exacerbated uh, how big a win that proved to be. Yeah. But you know, tro- trophies are trophies at the end of the day. But you're, you mean realistically, you're not you're not going to go out and compete for absolutely everything. Um, I mean, I think they've played they played more or less the maximum amount of games they could have played in one season. Something has to give. But you know, then who, who are you to you know you've you've lost. You, as you said earlier, you have a manager who's been critiqued as being a nearly man, suddenly turning his nose up at domestic trophies. You know, you get the impression of going, hold on, you've you've hardly won anything. Who are you to turn down the FA Cup? But you know, decisions should be made, and you know, certainly if it works, it does. And I don't think there's any Liverpool fan would criticise Klopp for it because they've come out the other side, you know, with a plethora of European titles, which is what you want. You want to win trophies, you want to win games, but more importantly, you want to win the league, which they've done. Regardless of anything that happened this season, whatever trophies you won, the, the smaller trophies, the bigger trophies, whatever, winning the Premier League is paramount and overshadows anything else that happened in any other competition, especially for a club like Liverpool. 30 years since the last league last league win. There's been a lot happened to Liverpool Football Club in the last 30 years. Some good things, some not so good things, but to finally return the... Somewhere you would expect Liverpool to be, to be winning league titles, to be challenging for trophies. And it's not, it's down to a lot of hard work from, obviously we've talked about Klopp and Klopp changing the whole ethos of the club. But there's some absolute outstanding players at Liverpool Football Club. And we'll talk about them now. Mohamed Salah, unbelievable player. Mane, Firmino, that front three. Firmino, I think it's doesn't get the plaudits he deserves for the role that he plays. I really like Henderson, Wijnaldum, Fabinho, fullbacks. There's not really a player in Liverpool starting eleven. When you look at maybe in my head, they're sort of strongest starting eleven. You go, okay, they could do with someone better there. I think everyone knows their role and plays it so so well and so perfectly. It's quite hard to see where you improve from that unless you're talking about adding depth to the squad. But talk to me about your players from this season your heroes of this season, your standouts of this season, your maybe your unsung heroes of this season. Just give me some player some player chat. Uh, just to touch what you said there about you know improving on it, I think that's 
that's almost like an it's an embarrassment of riches. You know, if somebody if you're trying to buy a player, the going rate now is obviously it's 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 astronomical, especially for the likes of an English player. Yeah. But for a club, a player to look at like for the likes of Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, whomever you want to talk about, and they'll look at that and they'll know pretty straightforward. I'm I'm going to be brought in for 20 minutes a game, and I'll be a Carabao Cup and FA Cup squad player. So it's it's asking these players, you know, you're saying they know their role. Do they want to come and do this? Yeah. I mean, there was talk, there was you know a lot of murmurs about the likes of, you know, Timo Werner joining Liverpool, and I'm sure that went through his head, going, am am I getting the Am I playing with that front three? You know, now whether that happened or not, that you will know, suppose we'll never know. But the other side, there is, you're bringing in people who now have to realise they're they're competing with established senior players. Yeah. I mean, the, the likes. Of, I mean, I'll give you. I mean, even the likes of uh, Nico Williams, who looks like a fantastic academy uh, prospect. Yeah. I mean, he's being kept out of the team by a senior player who's 21. Yeah, yeah. I was actually so, going to bring no, him up later on um, when we talk sort of about the future, but absolutely, 100%. He looks an absolute so, smasher. So, so knowing your role, I mean, to, to go back to your, your question, I mean, my, I, I can't really rate Sadio Mane highly enough. For the money we spent, where he came from, he's, his development on their club has been phenomenal. Again, someone who James Milner brought in for a free, and he was part of a midfield that had money spent on it. And he's he's up this level, you know. I think he's the ultimate professional. Um, he's a he's a fantastic player, you know. He he scores. He doesn't score a lot of goals, but he scores big goals. And obviously, having him around is important. Again, if you know, at the end of the day, you're you're looking at Jordan Henderson, who's left the the Premier League, and at one point he was subject to a swap deal with Fulham for Clint Dempsey. You know that. So that's that shows the sort of roller coaster he's had, and the development he's been brought on as part of a senior player. I think the interesting, the interesting aspect of the squad is, you know, you you look at the origin of where these players have come from. You know, you've got Andy, Andy Robertson's turned into one of the most established fullbacks in the world, and he came from Hull. You've got Wijnaldum, who's an important part of the midfield, coming from Newcastle. Four or five players through the years coming from the likes of Southampton. Yeah. And then you look at your free transfers: Adrian from West Ham, Milner on attacks, and Joel Maddock as well. These are all players who have had big individual performances on more than one occasion, and players as well. I mean, I'm looking at the likes of Fabinho, who was brought in for big money, and it just shows the sort of the, the attitude that's 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 rife with the club. Is you know, you, most most people would sort of fall victim to, but he was bought for big money; he has to play. If Fabinho didn't get near the squad for the first eight months. Because he was had to be readied, he had to get used to sort of English football, and he was fantastic up until he got injured. It took him a while coming out of the injury, but the sec this second part of the season, he's come on leaps and bounds. He's another one I would really, really sort of laud for his development. But you could go through the entire squad. Um, at the end of the day, you've bought Mohamed Salah, who was supposedly a laughable sign in a Chelsea flop, you know. But then again, Kevin De Bruyne was a Chelsea flop, so. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about the players' development is that they they absolutely want to play for Jurgen Klopp. You know, it's and in a loose sense, you get you know it's early Mourinho at Chelsea. Yeah. You know the way the way the way the players talk about him, it's somebody who completely understands players, the players' dynamic. You know, you can tell he's he's very well liked, he's well revered around the club, and players you know players want to do that. You're you're, you're seeing all the rumors at the minute about you know supposedly Thiago from Bayern Munich. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen one legitimate rumor that says Thiago wants to play for Liverpool. You know, I'm saying he wants to play for Klopp. Yeah. So when you've got a manager with that kind of pull, 
you know, people are obviously going to want to come and play, and that then leads on to the recruitment. Where if you're if you're luring players from big clubs because of what Jurgen Klopp can do, and then they go back to your Newcastle's, your Stokes, your Hulls, where we've got players who we've developed from. Yeah. The the, the pool to bring players in is unparalleled. I mean, you touched on something earlier where you talked about Fabinho was brought in. He had nearly eight months to get ready. It was almost a similar sort of learning curve for Andrew Robertson when he came in from Hull. Uh, Moreno was still sort of playing. He was making the odd mistake. And I think a, a lot of people, myself included, were like, he's bound to start playing Robertson soon. But he didn't. He kept on with Moreno until he felt Robertson was ready. And that seems to be something that Klopp does quite consistently with players that he feels might need a bit more time to buy into his philosophy to his ethos to whatever he's wanting to do and as you said he goes to a Newcastle and picks up Wijnaldum he goes to you know Roma and picks up Salah there doesn't seem to be a specific type of player that Klopp seems to love in the context of I look at Real Madrid Real Madrid want that either these really young kids with huge potential and huge names from Brazil for 50 million or they're going to go and spend 100 million on a Galactico. Jurgen Klopp seems a lot more, can this player do a job in my team the way I want to play? Will he learn? Will he develop? And whether that player be from Newcastle or Roma or wherever, he seems to have his ethos and his philosophy and he signs according to that which seems to benefit Liverpool a lot more than maybe signing just a big name or a big player. Oh well, massively, and I think like, I'll give you an example. If, if you're going after raw talent and not seeing how a player will fit in, I'm looking at the likes of Mesut Özil. Obviously, a fantastic player. If he started a game for Liverpool, he'd be brought off after ten minutes. You know, the guy the guy finishes games without beads of sweat on him. Whereas you know, Klopp wants high press and high intense. You know, I think he actually alluded to the Crystal Palace game. Um, just the night before Chelsea had played City, that they were four 0 up, and three players were hounding the ball in the final third. You know, there's there's a, there's an expectation there, and I think you're saying about the likes of Robertson not getting in for a while, same with Fabinho. I mean, that comes from the top of the club down. A manager under pressure does not do that. He throws him straight in and hope it, hopes it works. Yeah. There's an understanding there. There's there's an agreement that you know if money's being spent, there has to be time you know given to development. And that obviously, you know, if, if he's getting that from the top and he knows that, you know, yes, the things are going badly and you're signing 40 million players who are sitting on the bench, that's that's a different conversation you're having. But when you're sort of in a situation of an embarrassment of riches, you have time for somebody to develop in the background and then you can sort of organically introduce them to the system. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's you know, it's all easy saying it, but that's, that's the ideal footballing model. Yeah. Something we'll, we'll touch on this, and then we'll move on to sort of the fixtures. Net transfer spend and all this sort of talk, I don't really want to get too deep into that. But when you look at who you've sold and what you've brought in and what you've accomplished as a football club, you're being run correctly. You're not doing, and I say it respectfully because I do I do like Man City and enjoy watching them, you're not throwing £250 million on five players just because you can. It's very much, it's thought out, it's methodical, it's... It's planned, it's smart business, but it's smart business that achieves results. What's your thoughts really on how Liverpool just do transfer business, especially in the last number of years? And when Coutinho left, were you, were you worried at all? Do you know what? Coutinho, he, he had the, the idea about going. 
Now, again, to touch on what I said previously, players are going to have their heads turned by the big boys in Spain. That's understandable. And yes, you know, Coutinho was probably one of the stalwarts from the years the years previous, where he was a top performer and what was a bang average team. To, to talk about the likes of you know your net spend, you could speak to a hundred different people, and there'd be a hundred different net spend totals for Liverpool. And their models always continuously applied to Man City's. The reason Liverpool don't spend two hundred and fifty million pound a season is because they do not have two hundred and fifty million pound a season to spend. It's as simple as that. You know, you're looking at the likes of, I mean, Michael Edwards, the sporting director of the players. He shifted for the price that he's got for. With the exception of two or three, buying average footballers is incredible. So, and it's it's also well known that I mean I think it was evident in the the, the Werner deal. I think his clause was touching close to fifty million, and it was it was quite public that uh, uh, Liverpool's FSG group were just simply not gonna gonna pay that. Yeah. So I mean I, I think the two go hand in hand. Yes, you have a sporting director who is an absolute gem in selling average players for inflated prices. So if you want to, they're sort of they're building their own transfer kit, if you will. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you three players for example. Um, take Atenea out because, as far as I'm concerned, you know that was 142 million. That's your one of once every four years player that goes to Barcelona. You're looking at Dominic Solanke. Yeah. You're looking at Mamadou Sako and Christian Benteke, three average at best players in Liverpool. Solanke 20 million, Sako 25 million, Benteke 28 million plus add-ons. Yeah, I mean, if it, so, I don't think a sporting director has that kind of uh, niche influence and influence of approach. If there's a war chest of three hundred million set aside a year, I don't think there's a need for that. So yes, it is quite clever, and that's why you know that goes on behind the scenes. You know, that's when you do have a surplus of seventy-five million to throw at Southampton. You know, that's where if a midfielder becomes available at Monaco, you can go and buy him for that price. Yeah. Which then leads back to the likes of this Thiago talk. Again, going towards the likes of what um, the Liverpool owners are saying, spending big money on a 29-year-old, that does not fit in to sort of the clop ethos as well as the sort of the well-balanced and critique transfer approach they have. He's, he sold players you haven't heard of for a combined £20 million, which is you know, £30 million, which is incredible. But again, I don't think that needs to take place if ample financial resources are given to Klopp, which obviously they aren't. You can then look at what the, the kind of money that Man City have set aside. It's fantastic. They spent $260 million on defenders in the previous seasons, and at one point they had Fernandinho playing centre-back. So it doesn't necessarily solve problems. I think Man City bought John, John Stones for somewhere $50 million. So yeah. throwing, throwing money at players, it's enough to lure them, or, or even not even lure the player, but you're twisting the arm of the selling club hard enough to sell, but it has to fit and it has to work. And yes, it works at times, but there's still kind of a lot, there's a lot said for being shrewd. Absolutely. Out of um, all the players this year, Jordan Henderson has won the player of the year award. Who would your player of the year be? My player of the year. It's a great question. It's a hard question because it's one of those. I looked at Liverpool's team. I think everyone's been excellent. It's just sort of trying to pick a standout. Dude, I, I still go with Mane. I, just, I can't rate the guy high enough. He scored. He scored. I mean, I'm just thinking back. He's you know he scored the only goal in a frustrating win against Norwich. He scored a winner in an even more frustrating game against Villa. 
Um, you just you see his attitude. You get the impression he just he fancied it this year. He really wanted it. He's a, he must be a nightmare to play against. Easily my player of the year. Great player. Yeah. Okay. So we'll move on to the fixtures, Sam. Quite a lot of fixtures to go through. There's 38 in total. It's a lot. So I'm going to go to you with this. What standout fixtures? Maybe if you can do them in order, might be better. But if you don't have them in order, no problem. What standout fixtures in this year's Premier League title win stuck out for you? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, at the rate Liverpool were churning out wins and performances, it's hard to pick a few. But I feel there's, there's about seven or eight real key key fixtures and other ones that fixtures that may not seem as important but going toe-to-toe with City when they would drop points in the hours following, it would sort of exacerbate how big that win was. Um, just first one would be the early stage of the season, uh, beating Southampton 3-1 at St Mary's. Liverpool had won the, the Super Cup the week prior. Yeah. Um, that was 120 minutes of football in which your £67 million goalkeeper was injured um, and your free transfer from West Ham ends up starting your second, your first away game of the season. Um, it's It was against the Southampton side, who, again, I still feel most people um, most people sort of underrate. But it, it was it was a frustrating game, but a game that absolutely had to be won coming off the back of a very good home win against Norwich. So the 2-1 win at Southampton, Manny Firmino scored. Yeah. Um, and again, that set the pace early, because City would later go on and draw a 2-2 with Tottenham which would sort of be the earliest stage of advantage Liverpool in the title race. I always find your, fir- your couple- first couple of games of the season are always vitally important. I always think you, w- you want to get off the blocks well in your first home game. You did that. You smashed Norwich opening day. And then your first away game. It's almost- Southampton is a tricky one because you- Southampton, in my opinion, I would agree with you, they are underrated. You go to a Southampton side where you can't really afford to lose because it's only Southampton, but it's an incredibly hard place to go and win, and win comfortably. Um, so to go there and just get three points is the only thing that really matters earlier in the, early in the season, and you did that. I know you conceded later on, maybe a bit squeaky bum time towards the end, but with City losing, um, or drawing, sorry, with Spurs at home, 2-2, um, it was very, very important that you got the win here, and you did. What what stood out for you next because you, you had a couple of big fixtures here. You scored three goals in a row in three games in a row. You beat Arsenal 3-1, Burnley away 3-0, which I thought was huge. And you beat Newcastle 3-1. What stuck out next to you in your fixture list? In the fixtures was beating Chelsea 2-1 away. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool beating midweek away at Napoli in the Champions League. And that was the sort of... you know They were, they were fighting on all fronts. Everything was going well and... You know, you, you looked at the sort of if you if you don't look at the league in a sense of when it dom- you know, domestically started in August, if you look at the form Liverpool have had from last year going forward, it seemed to be every pundit was saying they'll wobble this week. This is the week something goes wrong, and I'm sure everybody had the impression that you know it's only a matter of time before Liverpool are going to lose and they're going to lose convincingly. And I think Chelsea was sort of the game where people you know identified that. But that was it was a it was a good game. It was it was tough. Liverpool went two 0 up. Alexander Arnold free kick and Firmino and Kante scored in the second half. Yeah. But to sort of you know to go away to go away to Napoli and lose and then come straight back into what was early stages an important game in the title race. Very big three points. Yeah, and the big thing about that too was the previous day, Man City, re like sort of 
redone the last year's FA Cup final and absolutely give a, a hammering out to Watford. Maybe a bit of a statement of intent. We're not going away. We're not going anywhere. And with the, and then sort of a bit like over to you, Liverpool. Go to Chelsea. Let's see what you're made of. And they went to Chelsea and they won. Huge game. I thought that was vitally important. Um, not just about going to a big club away and winning, but because of the city result, I thought it was Possibly. a bit of. I thought it was a bit of a mental game of chess, which, given the previous season, City win the league by a point. It it was a season where every year, and there are other big clubs in the league, your Chelsea's, your United Spurs, Arsenal's, and so on and so forth. But you were really looking at Liverpool City result every week because that's where you were looking at where the title was going and how the title would be decided. And when you've seen City absolutely destroy Watford, you went, okay, maybe it was just a blip last week. City are fine. They're back. Liverpool be warned. But well, that was it. I mean, I'm sure as, as a neutral watching the, the, the title race was sitting at centre court in Wimbledon, you know, you're, you know, a team makes a statement, then you look to see how that team responds. Do they respond well? If so, it's back on to the first team. You know, it was just constantly, you know, What's going to give? What are you going to do next? You know, if if Liverpool drop points, do City capitalise? Do they drop points themselves? It seemed to be it was just a constant case of you know who's gonna who's gonna blink first. Yeah, especially this season, considering you know with the with the league sort of being stopped with COVID and stuff. I mean, a, a interesting funny stat: Liverpool won the league the earliest in terms of games than anyone's ever won it, but it was the latest league win in terms of days. Because right, of the yeah. COVID and stuff, you know, it's that sort of funny, unique little statistics. But right after the Chelsea game, you had a Carberry Cup game. You beat MK Dons 2-0, pretty comfortable. You went away to Sheffield United, and it was a very sort of ugly, cagey game that, ironically, a Man United goalkeeper on loan managed to make a mistake. And Liverpool ended up leaving with three points. But as mu- as much as that's the case... This was a bit of a start of a run of somewhat should have very difficult fixtures in the Premier League. Sheffield United away, Leicester at home 2-1, United away 1-H, Tottenham at home 2-1. Talk to me about those fixtures and any specific ones that stand out to you. Yeah, so obviously um, Sheffield United was extremely difficult. I mean, I'm sure most teams at the start of the season would have been licking their lips looking at that fixture but as as the season went on and obviously Chris Weller's team got better and better that proved an extremely difficult game and you know yes it was a mistake and an unlikely goal score that it led to but I think I'll say this a few times throughout this I mean the biggest sort of compliment I can give Liverpool's side this year is they they found a Ferguson-esque way to win games I mean Liverpool playing against deep lying teams who frustrate them and you know they don't get anything out of it there's a couple of games we'll go through here where they've had to dig deep against teams who have frustrated them and they've come out the other side. You know, Liverpool teams in years gone by have fallen victim to that. They would drawn maybe, but they've actually lost some of those games. Yeah. So to get, you know, like I mean, fair enough, it's it's a scrappy goal, but when you look at the United when the United title wins throughout the years, I mean, everyone talks about your Ronaldo's, your Rooney's, your gigs. It's it's always there's always someone, a Silvestra or an Evra or a non goal scorer. Who maybe scores two a season, but that's worth six points. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if that makes any sense. Going off from those games, uh, the next one for me would be the 2-1 defeat of Leicester at Anfield. Yeah, late penalty, won that one. Controversial at the time. You look back at it. Yes, VAR awarded the penalty. It might not have been seen otherwise. It was a penalty. 
it's a fight in the box. It's a penalty. There's not really much else to be said there. What stands out to you about the Liverpool-Leicester game? Well, that was the you know the, the Sky marketing team. They had the buses and the marquee out for that one because that was meant to be, you know, yes, you know, the Chelsea game was meant to be that when Liverpool faltered, games going on were like that's going. This was sort of the way Leicester were playing. This was deemed as the sort of first real test. You know, Leicester were playing very very well. They pushed Liverpool the entire way. Yeah. Um. But I mean, to get, for me, it was it was the it was you know a last minute penalty. You know, the nature in which it was scored, you know, Milner's celebration was a sense of, there was a real you know, sense of belief. They didn't feel fortuitous to have been given the penalty. It almost felt like it was their, their, their God-given right to be given a penalty within 90 minutes, which obviously at the time, you know, there's all of the VAR talk. Um, but I, I felt it was, they seemed to just be consistently proven doubters wrong. There were games where you felt that this is where they'll drop points. Um, they, they just kept coming out. And they, they kept getting get the reason again it became so massive is City went on to lose the Wolves that weekend as well and that was an eight point lead at that point and yeah. Liverpool having then had a Leicester team at Anfield you know they're three points in the tank and one less difficult fixture to play yeah I mean and you went from there Man United won each away from home that was a very poor game of football it's hard to watch um, more so from a Man United perspective and how they set up to play the game but it was effective and they went 1-0 up really against the run of play it was all sort of Liverpool trying to score trying to play in the front foot but a late equaliser was that a bit was that a key game for you or was that just sort of a to be expected game to seeing where Man United were that they go they park a bus they try to counter attack a little bit and you were happy enough to get out of there with a point in the end at this point, you're you're talking about an unbeaten run, yeah. Which which obviously you know people, fans will tell you, oh, it's not that important. But they're lying through their teeth. You want you you want to go unbeaten. I mean, there was nothing shocked me about that game. There's to I me, mean, yes, United were set up to frustrate Liverpool, but the other side of the coin is that I, I I still think there's a mental block with Liverpool playing at Anfield, or sorry, <laughs> playing at Old Trafford. Yeah, I, I think there's just something ingrained in the back of the player I think everything's a wee bit slower it's maybe a wee bit daunting I'm not entirely sure what it is but I wasn't expecting a good game of football and that alludes back to Wijnaldum scoring against Sheffield United that's Adam Lallana a squad player yep. who's, who's grasped the point you know coming off the bench 12 minutes to go I would love to know the instructions he was given on the sideline you know realistically what's he being told there Yeah. Um, he's come on and he's popped up on a position where a player his position shouldn't really be and he, he's robbed the point, which obviously is great. It keeps the on the unbeaten run alive, and it also it 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 opens up ground. Yeah. Uh, and then the other side of the coin is yes, you know, it's against United, which makes it all the better. Yeah, seven points from nine in October. Two one win at Leicester, one one away at United, and two one win at Tottenham. Three of the sort of bigger names, bigger clubs in the in the league. That's just very very good October. Excellent, yeah. It's but it's the run of fixtures that everyone was suggesting that you know, oh, they're it's okay because you know you're you're playing you're playing your Southamptons, you're playing you're playing Burnley, you're playing Newcastle. Anybody can beat them. You have to go and beat the big ones. And aside from a draw at Old Trafford, everything sort of went to plan. Big time. November started second November two one win away at Aston Villa. A very late winner. It's actually a late equaliser. Andy Robertson who doesn't score too many. Popped up, you know, he's big for his assists, but he's not so big for his goals. Pops up with an equaliser in the 87th minute. 
everyone thought here goes the unbeaten run. The unbeaten run's going. 86 minutes, Liverpool, nothing. 87th minute, Robertson and Mane wins it in the 90th minute, well, 94th minute, if you count stoppage time. Huge win. And it was a huge momentum lift because the very next week you had Man City. I felt these two games were extremely key for Liverpool's Premier League season. Have you any thoughts on these games, Sam? Anything stick out specifically in both these games? Just again, going back, I mean, there, there's three three players not renowned for goal scoring, you know, have scored three absolutely massive goals. Yeah. So again, to go back to, to the United talk, you know, there's Liverpool have now got players contributing to games in ways that they never had before. You know, Andrew, Andy Robertson scored four goals in the league this season. You know, one, one of them was an equaliser late on against Villa. The Mane goal, I think, is, you know, that, that was absolutely huge. You saw the celebrations at the end. And as far as, like you said, momentum goes, you wanted to go into the City game at Anfield firing all cylinders. And you get the impression, you know, yes, Liverpool were frustrated, you know, but at the end of the day, regardless of how you leave Villa Park, if you leave it without a win, you'll feel yourself wanting something. You'll think you could have done more. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was huge. And then the City game, I've touched on it before, it speaks for itself. Um, I, th- I think it's it's interesting to draw parallels. I mean, how Liverpool started the season missing Allison for quite a few games due to injury. I still say that uh, that game's different if Ederson plays. But again, you know, you've, you've only spent £400 billion in two seasons. Why should you have a good second keeper? <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's the thing too. You've a, you've a goalkeeper there that they pay a lot of money for and is making a lot of money in his contract. So you, you don't have too much sympathy there. You know, sometimes you do see a club down the bottom, even so much like maybe a Bournemouth last year. Um, their keeper gets injured and kid from the reserves comes up, Ramsdale. And you mm-hmm. sort of go, okay, they're, they're about under the cost here. But you, you bring in Claudio Bravo. He's won Champions Leagues. He's won La Liga's. I'm not looking. At, yes, he may not have adjusted well to the Premier League, but that's not. That, that's just that's just life, and you deal with it. He's a fella that's probably on over a hundred k a week, and they paid good money to get. So, yeah, I'm not too soft on City on that on that front. But I do I do agree with you. If Ederson plays, it might have been a bit different. Yeah, massive. I mean, because I, I don't. I mean, as good as a goal it was, it was a it was a cracking sweeping move. You know, it started from right back, switched to left back, left back delivered to the box, Salah header from twelve yards. I don't think Salah scores that. You know, I think that's a routine save for Ederson. Yeah. But again, you know, you, you talk about like things going your way, your way, and you know, and in a real generous sense, getting the rub of the green. Yes, you want to play a Man City team without Ederson in it, obviously. Um, but no, it, it came out well. I mean, again, there's Fabino, not not uh, renowned for a goal scoring. He set the tone early on, and you've got two, you know, two players who would go on to be key key players in Liverpool's uh, season. Salah and Mane get on to score as well. And obviously, the game's not without controversy. There's a massive shout for handball at the start. Yeah. On Trent Alexander Arnold, and um, which for me, I thought, yeah, I was like, that's that's nailed on. But again, I don't think the Premier League knew what would happen. Can yeah. you call a VAR call back if a goal's been scored? I'd say there was a lot of nail biting during that. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was a, it was a great game. And then to touch on my, my point previously, I mean that, that that's for me is you know that's where they've come in twelve months. It's it's okay beating beating everybody else, but you know you you, you want to go toe to toe. You want to keep neck and neck with the team who are going to push you all the way, and you have to take points off them. Yeah. And take take points off them. You did. You really. I know it was early in the season, but it really did feel like a bit of a nail in the coffin of the champions. 
and maybe as Liverpool fan you didn't feel that you were still maybe a bit nope not convinced not convinced it's way too early but for me as a neutral I looked at it and thought they've just they've killed off the Champions title chase already in November with that win did you yeah, feel anything you can, like that or as Liverpool fan we still nope we just keep going we keep going and we'll we'll see what happens in January February no I, I was still nervous before as Henderson went to lift the trophy I was like I'm going to celebrate <laughs> this when it's actually in the trophy cabinet you know <laughs> it's not good but yeah I mean there were nine clear it was enormous but I mean <laughs> out of all the teams in the world chasing you you don't want to be Man City because again you don't know what their January could be like you know you, you play them at home they spend 300 million and you go away through them and they have an entirely different 11. You know, you've, and that's the danger. There's such an embarrassment of riches with players. I mean, I'm sure you look at the likes of, you know, everyone knows how De Bruyne plays. You know, David Silva's interchangeable. Do they play Mares? Do they play Sterling? Do they play Gabriel Jesus? There's, there's so many permutations of players they can play, all with varying styles. Yeah. That, you know, you, you, you have no idea what you're up against. Uh, the next one for me on that was, the running thing of Liverpool Leicester being billed as a heavyweight game is still completely does not dawn on me. But this was um, this was Boxing Day. Yeah. This was you know Leicester's revenge supposedly, and I think for me this was the most complete performance of the year. I would agree. This, was, um, this to me as well was when I I watched this match. It was actually funny. The wife was sitting playing on her phone. She watched this match, and I remember looking up at one point and went, "They've scored again." I remember that comment, and I agree with you, Liverpool. This performance summed up everything Jurgen Klopp has done to this football club, in my opinion. I mean, the, the the game was played at high tempo. It was run from right back. I mean, there's there wasn't Liverpool didn't have a complete. They didn't have a plethora of chances, but the chances they had, they scored. Yeah. And I mean, this is a Leicester side who were seen to be challenging at this stage, having no shots on target in their own ground. You know, I think that the sort of the, the level of the performance was so was it was so intense, particularly as well. Liverpool were in Qatar the previous week. Yeah. You know, so there was all these added extra elements of it's an intense Christmas period. You know, Liverpool have had a very they've had you know a, a lot of games across different competitions, different parts of the world, and then there just seems to be this idea of no one's had a severe injury yet, as if that's like, you know, Premier League bingo, one of your players has to break his leg every year. I don't know why that keeps coming up. <laughs> but the idea was that, you know, you got the impression that people were talking about a potential burnout. And again, it was, I think that was the game, you know, Alexander-Arnold's celebration at the end summed it up. You know, that was, I think for me, that, that sort of, um, that gave stage to the gap between, first and second and third at that stage I think that was the first point people looked at it and went you're only second because somebody has to be second <laughs> and that, that that's that's pretty easy me saying that as a Liverpool fan but you know if, if I didn't really watch if I didn't watch football and I watched 90 minutes of that game I would say who's that team in the blue they are nowhere near it they were chasing shadows the whole game yeah and then Casper Schmeichel comes out and says the referee had to make the game about himself but okay he yeah, it for, I thought, but it's a referee again. I, have no I thought idea. that was odd. I really did. And I, I, I like Leicester and I like Schmeichel. And I remember hearing the interview and I just thought that's strange. That's it's a very awkward thing to say. I just thought it was silly. I think, I think that the irony of his comment is that it actually applied more to the reverse fixture at Anfield. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Like you, you can't. It must be a hell of a referee in circus if you're blaming him for four goals and you didn't have one attempt on target yourself. Yeah. And then at home. Just to, just again because all these games seem to have two things to them. I think City were 2-0 up at Wolves at this point, went on to lose 3-2. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that was really the game. The the rumours started about Adama Traore coming to Liverpool, and I don't know whether it was an actual truthful thing that Liverpool might might actually be interested, or it was like a oh, he's done us a solid here. Let's let's you know, let's let's put him up. You know, let's uh, let's get some hype around him type thing. But I always remember those sort of rumours of Traore to Liverpool coming on around that area, and I always thought it was quite funny given the the performance that he put in against City. But December as a whole was a brilliant month for Liverpool. We sort of we went past beating Everton, and that's always fun as Liverpool fan. 5-2, entertaining game, putting five past, I would say, the noisy neighbours, the, the boys down the road. They're not too noisy anymore these days, but you went to Bournemouth, you won 3-0, beat Watford 2-0, and right, a, a key fixture for me, three days after going away to Leicester, and a lot of people, as you've put it, the pundits, they, they thought going to Leicester, this is the big one, this is the banana skin, and then you've got Wolves. Wolves are awkward, Wolves are hard to beat. You've Wolves... Three days after beating Leicester 4-0, you beat Wolves 1-0 and you scored 15 goals in five Premier League games in December. And that's inc- and you've, you had a Carabao Cup game, you went to Qatar. There's a lot in that December period. But that Wolves game was quite tight, but you got over the line, 1-0 win before moving on into January a couple of days later. What's, what's the next fixture that sort of sticks out to you? Does the Wolves thing mean anything? That Wolves fixture really stick out or... What's what's the next on your list? I don't actually have. Well, I'm, otherwise, I'm going to talk about every single game we've played in great detail <laughs> here. Um, but obviously, Wolves are a hard team to play against, and you know I I don't know many Premier League fullbacks who lick their lips at the thought of Adama Traore coming on after 70 minutes. Yeah, you know it's he's he's a, he's a monster. He's an absolute. I would not want to play against him. So that's a massive win. My next one is the 19th of January. It's beating United at Anfield. Yeah. Um, that's it's, it's obviously it's a major one. I mean, you can say that yes, it's Man United. It was a frustrating game. There was a a strange refereeing decision about Liverpool's second that was that was why you know I, I, I talk about a foul on the keeper. But for yeah. me, the reason this was so important is this: this put Liverpool sixteen clear. Which you know, looking back on it at the time, you're thinking, how the hell did nobody, you know, put their feet up at this stage to be sixteen clear at the top in January? Yeah. But Again, because of obviously the frustrations of Old Trafford previously in the year, the way Liverpool set up, you know, Van Dijk scoring early, you got the impression it was going to be a more favourable game. I mean, a game was on a knife edge. I mean, Martial put one over after yeah, about did. 70 minutes, yeah. which you looking at Martial at this stage of the season, you're thinking he scores that with his eyes closed. Yeah. And then obviously the breakaway goal at the end, I think was... For me, you just you know you see the iconic celebrations, you know Allison doing his Pepe Reina slide in the same fixture. You're sort of thinking, right, sixteen clear. You've come out of a horrendous month of fixtures across three competitions. You've a lot of big games. You you you've, you've got in the tank, done and dusted. That's, I think that's the first point where certainly Liverpool fans were thinking, right, this this really does look like it's on. Yeah. And again, I mean, you look at the nature of what you know, Liverpool have swept aside some teams. I mean, you look at. Leicester, who at the time were arguably a far better side than Man United, they made less work of a tough Leicester team than, a, than an, av- an average at best United team. Yeah. So I think that it's, it still shows the sort of the significance that yes, United are in a rebuilding structure. It's still the game you want to win. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna win the league, you want to twist the knife at some point. Yeah. So I think that's the key. And then it's a breakaway goal at the end. You've got supposedly the world's fastest kid, Daniel James, keep trying to keep up with Salah. It was a great finish. That you know, you just got the impression that you saw the celebrations. You were like, right, is this it? You know, can we go to town and start celebrating yet? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, right after that game, that was important too. More so about the result than the performance, just because you knew it would be one of those hard-to-break-down United teams. But that Van Dijk goal early really settled those nerves. But you went away to Wolves a couple of days later. Very, very hard game. And you won it late on. Bobby Firmino popped up with a winner, I believe, in that one. Um, 84th minute. Firmino banged in the winner. That was an extremely tough game. Another three points. Away to West Ham, you won. You slapped Southampton around 4-0 before beating Norwich 1-0. Any of those games stick out or what's next on your list? I know you have a couple of big games coming up here in February as well. The the Wolves one, yeah, that was a, a horrible January match. It's, it's again, I mean, Wolves are not a side you want to play. They, they're, technically, they're very good. But, you know, they, they are a physical side at the back. I mean, I think Mane went off injured at half time of that game. Yeah, he did. And you're starting to think, right, you know, it's a matter of time before Wolves get a bit between their teeth here. You know, they, they, so they'd scored or they had scored. And this is a, this is a Wolves side who have done double over City. You know, so I don't think anybody was going into this game thinking, hold on a second, you know, this will be an easy three points. Yeah. And also, then, you know, obviously. It's also a Wolves side done the double over Crusaders. Well, you know, if we're going to talk about <laughs> big teams and then big teams, you know, I was only talking about lowly Man City here, but yeah, they beat the Cruise twice as well, so. But you no, know, it's one of those. That was another one. It's it's the idea, you know, of just pure relief, similar to the likes of the Villa winner, um, and then similarly to to the same fixture you had mentioned there, the Norwich winner. You know, an afternoon of just frustration, and um, you know, obviously, you know, from Firmino's finish to win it, it's a guided finish. Mane's finish in Norwich, you get the impression it's just pure bad temper. Yeah, like he kills it and just puts everything through it. You know, a tight game again. The reverse fixture, you've won that comfortably. Yeah. So I think it was getting to a stage where, you know, they, they were looking at games, going their game management, just so they have to keep it consistent, which seems like an easy thing to say. But you get the impression that you're playing these games, you're playing the Southamptons, etc., and you're winning them. And then every third game, you're going, right, we've got a battle coming up here. Because then it gets to a point where teams want to be the team that beat Liverpool. And we'll come to that now, Watford, 3-0. I actually felt sorry for Watford. I thought 3-0 didn't do them justice. They, they were they were phenomenal that day, and it really was maybe the only time this season you could say Liverpool didn't show up. It felt like they didn't show up. Even the, the defeat at home to Atletico Madrid, I put that down to missed chances rather than anything else. But the Watford game specifically, I really felt it was the only time that Liverpool really didn't do themselves justice as a team this year. But given the amount of games, fixtures, competitions, continents travel to... It has to be expected at some point where there's a game that maybe you don't quite hit the heights. Oh, massively. And again, if, you, if you're going to have that off day, considering the teams who you've played and the spots, you'd want your off day to be against the relegation favourite. You know, you don't want to be giving points, valuable points to teams in and around you. Now, granted, at that stage, there weren't any. But, you know, you're thinking, right, if, if you're if you're going to be dishing points away here, this is probably the time to do it. And obviously that's not how you think. But I think at 2-0, sort of looking at how Liverpool were playing, how leggy they looked, you, you sort of went, OK. Because I think one of the things, you're looking at games where Liverpool are going behind, certainly the players don't seem to panic. Yeah. And as, as a fan, you're going, right, you know, with the front three, I fancy us to score at least two here. It's, it's, it's not panic stations. But you got the impression when Watford scored their second, you sort of looked at the reaction. And you're thinking, yeah, that this this could be us in trouble here, which is obviously a massive result for Arsenal. Don't get me wrong, you know, they're they're highly coveted gold Premier League trophy. You know, that that seemed to be all the reaction was. It's you know, oh my God, Liverpool aren't going to be invincible. 
you know. But then again, it was probably fair enough. That's probably the best result Arsenal have had in London this year. So <laughs> it it does work out well. But look, it's it's one of those games. It's you, you don't want little things going wrong across five or six games. Yeah. Liverpool seemed to save save their meltdown for ninety minutes, and that seemed to press the reset button, which in hindsight obviously works out well. And you're thinking if you're going to lose games when you're twenty plus clear. With three months of the league left, you're like, right, fair enough. It is disappointing, but you look at what they've done, obviously, this year, and then the form they carried in the next year, you're thinking, look, it's done, just go again. Yeah, and then you beat Bournemouth 2-1, and in the last game, really, before COVID stopped the season, we returned with the season the 21st of June with quite possibly the worst game of the season, a nil-nil draw away at Everton. You know, less said about that, the better. But you... Exactly, because I was on this podcast before saying Liverpool were going to thump Everton the whole time <laughs> I was watching that match going, I have to apologise the next time I go on this because I sounded like a tube. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a poor, poor game. But again, you know... First game that... back, it felt very friendly-ish, to be honest, just the, the standard of football and coming back into it. So out of the blue... It's a, it's a game abruptly. as well that Liverpool could have quite easily lost. You know, I think yeah. um, Davis hit the post the last few minutes. Yeah, Richarlison had a big chance. Yeah, um, but I think everybody had the idea that you know post this lockdown, you know, do you think Liverpool well they won't intentionally take their foot off, but are you thinking they were hitting such high levels of consistency? Obviously, prior to the Watford game, are you now looking at are they going to find it difficult to pick back up where they left off? And and whilst they had the barrier and the lead to do that, you're thinking you know is that something that management's going to allow? Yeah, but I think the the, the good thing about certainly the games the first week back I watched quite a lot of them and after about 10 minutes I was like oh my god collectively teams are horrendous yeah I thought the you same know, I, I watched um, Spurs first game back and I thought this is atrocious football this looks like Saturday morning pub football it was I mean I think you sat down and you went right okay if you're going to regress every every other team seems to have regressed so probably the, the level's still there it's just an idea of digging and finding it yeah, but um, for me, the sort of next one I have here is the the Palace game at Anfield. Yeah, hundred percent, massive, massive game, amazing performance. I would even I would put it up there as one of your best performances of the season. That's the first time since two thousand eight a team haven't touched the ball in the opposition's box. Yeah, I remember seeing that stat. I mean, scary. And you're talking to somebody who's, you know, I, I've gone to Liverpool games and I've seen Martin Skirtle defending or trying to defend I've seen Sortis Kiriakos playing I've seen Paul Kinczewski trying to defend so that should be your yardstick of how far defensively this team's come or this club's come rather yeah so I remember watching the game and I was I was looking at it and I went I don't actually think Palace have had a chance here like yes obviously Wilfred Zaha goes off which is like taking the gun off your tank you know fair enough you're not <laughs> going to expect much but I remember, I said, I don't actually remember a chance for Palace. And after the game, I realised they hadn't even touched the ball in the box. It was a complete performance. And it was it was sort of the way the season started. It seemed to be over to you, City, over to you, Liverpool. You know, City were playing the following night. Liverpool had got the win they needed. It was now mathematically possible, pending City dropping points. Yeah. And then, again, Chelsea seemed to have this, this celebrity appearance in the final day of the season, whether they're involved... <laughs> directly or not you know and I think it's ironic you know, Liverpool fans watching 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 a Chelsea team who they fell victim to in 2014 yep. especially after playing a Crystal Palace side who was the next game in that capitulation yeah 
I remember watching it going, oh my God, Liverpool are playing Palace and Chelsea are playing tomorrow night. This is just, you know, Vietnam flashbacks as far as 2014 <laughs> went. But no, it was it was a complete performance again. Sally Man- uh, Firmino or Fabino again scored. Yeah. And again, Alexander Arnold and great free kick. But then you're kind of saying, right, this is a, a it's never been a bad time, you know, but it's a, it was a good time for an opposition team to be playing Chelsea. Chelsea seemed to have they 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 sort of got a bit of momentum going, and I think it was shortly after the after the 77th replay of the Fernandino handball where it was obvious that he'd actually handled it. You got the impression that this this is it nailed on tonight. That wrapped the league up to each Chelsea and City. Wrapped uh, wrapped the league up. Liverpool champions. Hadn't got the trophy yet, but mathematically confirmed. Your champions, the players, were celebrating and whatnot. It really led there a little bit of a mixed bag July, but maybe a July that I wouldn't say nobody cares about, but a July that people aren't too bothered about. You got City won four nil. It's inevitable you would go to City and lose, specifically after winning the league and probably hitting the sauce for your players. You bounce back, win at Villa, win at Brighton, draw with Burnley at home. A loss to Arsenal, and then you put on probably the most entertaining game of the league season with Chelsea, and um, the five-three before finishing off the season with a win at Newcastle. A fun July, an interesting July, a bit of a crazy up and down July, considering your form the rest of the season. But when the league's wrapped up, the boys have obviously had a bit of fun. It is quite hard, I think anyway, to try and keep the mentality of let's keep winning. It's vital to keep winning. What do you think of your July? Were you too bothered about the July results? Or is it a bit more the league's wrapped up? Let's just get their hands on the trophy. Obviously, you want to win as many games as possible. But, I mean, when it was mathematically confirmed, you're thinking, right, ironically, here comes the dip that the pundits were talking about in October. You're thinking, you're not you're not beating City in a month of Sundays in that game. Yeah. You know, because that, that was the, they're saying, oh, that's, that's the... the the benchmark set for next season. This is Man City, who would lose nine times this season. Whatever. But, I mean, I'll be honest, does, does anybody care? I mean, really? I mean, I can see Arsenal, obviously. I mean, that, that's a that's a big win for them in their pursuit of fourth. Um, similarly, you know, again, not to their favour, but it was an entertaining game at one point where, bar the last 15 minutes, Chelsea were right in it. Yeah. But I'm thinking, I mean, again, it goes back to the previous point, because then you start saying... Oh, wouldn't it have been good if you won this? Yeah, because let's say you won your games. Let's say you didn't lose to Watford. Then it becomes, oh, would it not have been better if you didn't draw at Old Trafford? And then it starts getting more and more ridiculous to the point where wouldn't it have been great if you if you kept 38 clean sheets? <laughs> and then you, then you start going, hold on here. We've won the bloody league. This has been a two-year project. The, the level of consistency, intensity, performance that the team has shown, once the league's in your hand, I mean, we, we, we qual- Liverpool qualified for the Champions League at the start of February. Do I really care what happens after we've won the league? Yeah. Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. And you can say anything, you know, I'm sure if for whatever reason Neil Warnock hears this, he'd probably put another injunction into the FA about unprofessionalism. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is, you've won the league, albeit due to a technicality, you're still holders of the European Cup. You've had a hell of an 18 months. I mean, God knows, the pints I drank after the City match, I have no idea what the hell the players were drinking. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's 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 an easy thing to criticise them for. You've you've won the Premier League. I don't think anybody cares in the slightest about the following game. 
Yeah, I, I'd agree. It's more you're just seeing out the fixture list more than anything else until you get your hands yeah. on that trophy. So and another, obviously, you know, club can romanticise over given players, try to get them up to the five appearance mark in regards to the medals. Yeah. You know, it, it works out well. This 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 is your prize for, for winning with seven games to go. You know, you can do whatever the hell you want. As far as I'm concerned, you can start Adrian up front. I couldn't care yeah. less. One of the well, another stat actually that I think is quite cool. You were the fastest side to beat every single opponent in a Premier League season. It took you 31 games to beat every single opponent at least once this season, which I think's a massive massive feat. You talked about it last year when you finished second. You took you drew with City and you lost to City. This year you beat you beat them. You beat everybody at least once. And I think that says a lot too in terms of the quality of Liverpool. There wasn't really too much of a... Obviously, there's a banana skin if you lose a game to someone, but there wasn't a consistent banana skin that you struggled with both home and away. You got the result against everybody. You also had the most consecutive home wins ever in a Premier League season with 20. I think that's insanity when you consider it from the previous season that carried over. Two wins then the last season, 18 this year. Phenomenal. It's 23 wins and counting, actually, where you're sitting right now for your home wins, which is phenomenal. Thoughts, Sam, just to wrap this up now, where do you go next season? Is the is the goal we, we want to retain the league title? Is it, do we want to push on? What is the thoughts of Liverpool next season? I've seen people talk about trying to freshen up the team, trying to bring in some new blood, bleed some new blood in. You've got Firmino, Mane and Salah, all 28 years old. What's what? What do you think for next season? And we talked. I know you talked about Thiago earlier, and it's not like a Liverpool signing. Where where do Liverpool go in the transfer market? I think it's it's crazy not to add to the squad. The stock's never been higher. The pool's never been higher. You know, obviously the club factor. People want to come and play for Liverpool. And again, to speak earlier, there's there's far there's far less of a pool from the likes of Barca, Real Madrid to go there. So I think in regards to keeping players, I think that's safe. I mean, you're, you're champions of England. This is a fantastic... You're offering Champions League football. You know, it's a fantastic time to try and bring new blood into the team. I, I, I'm sceptical of teams who rest on their laurels. You know, you can talk about the likes of Werner, didn't, for whatever reason, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, did, but I, I absolutely think this is the time to start buying, adding to the squad. And again, Klopp can do this in regards to how he... he he sort of organically grew the likes of Robertson and Fabinho. You know, you can buy you can buy a young a young talent now, with the view to bringing them into the squad over the next one to two years. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things I always found fascinating was Mourinho's approach at United. You know, it seemed to be one week United were talking about the likes of um, they have really good players coming through the academy, and then you scroll down the next tweet was how they were linked with 31 year old Sergio Ramos. Yeah. You know, so the idea you don't necessarily the the, the the squad depth Liverpool have, as you touched on about the roles that their players accept that they have, they have the luxury of time and resources to adapt players while it's not detrimental to the squad. You know, they, they can move players about, they can grow players, you know, they can play in the like you're talking about the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, these le- sort of not lesser competitions, but game clubs use these as development. So there's no need to go out and spend, you know, X number of 30, 40 million on a finished product. Klopp's proved that he can develop players whom would go under the radar. 
I'm not. I, I think it's interesting because you know, for thirty, not winning your first league in thirty years, this is the finish line that Liverpool have finally arrived at, and now they're being asked to go somewhere else. And the reaction for me is, we didn't know there was somewhere else. We 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 healed as winning the league as you know the promised land. So where do you go from here? I think the idea of keeping the keeping the club as as contenders is enormous, but I think it's going to be extremely difficult. I mean, Chelsea. You know, Chelsea sort of uh, immediately swept aside their transfer ban by buying Werner, by buying Zayat, and what's touted to be seventy million for Kai Havertz. Yeah. So you got the impression, you know, they they have the bank roll out. Um, Man United are going. This is probably the best they've looked in a while. Yeah. You get the impression one or two transfer windows. United will be they'll be back firing. If if Brendan Rodgers is still the manager of Leicester at this stage next week, who knows? But you get the impression they're going to buy players. I think the man's a bore, but I'm always wary about Mourinho's teams. He can they'll sort of they'll be about. So I think they have to. They don't rest on their laurels. Yes, they're ahead, but the league's won. The league's over. You know, it's in your trophy cabinet. Now you have to think about how you can rebuild. Use use your pool. Use Klopp's pool. You get players in. If it's someone you can see you need immediately, great. If not, you do have the time and the facilities, the resources to to sort of adapt somebody to the squad, to the ethos, who may not be ready for the first team immediately, eight to ten months, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Miyamoto signing. Very good player, done very well in the Champions League, very well in um, the Austrian League. But he's came into Liverpool. He seems to be a bit of a bit part player. You can tell there's a bit of quality there. He's extremely young. He was signed for a very good fee, a release clause of seven million, I believe it was. Smart additions to the squad, with the ability to improve them, to coach them, to you know develop their mentality to the way that Klopp and the club want to play. I think that's very imperative for Liverpool, and it's signing the right people. I agree with what you said earlier. Going out and spending 30 million, 40 million on a 29 year old Thiago with one year left on his deal to command 200,000 a week doesn't seem very Liverpoolish to me. It seems very desperate, to be perfectly honest. It doesn't strike me as a Liverpool signing, but I agree with what you've said as well about sitting on your laurels in the Premier League with a Man City side that are probably going to spend the guts of 100 to 200 million this summer on adding another couple of defenders. And maybe another left back because apparently 70, 80 million on the players that they have that are available at left back isn't good enough. Peanuts. Could be absolutely detrimental to Liverpool to not strengthen in some way. And even if that strengthening is a couple of quality youngsters, the bit part play to take maybe a bit of pressure off the front three and to develop for the next couple of years, I think that would be ideal. But certainly you can't just sit and rest on your laurels right now. No, so it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, there's there's years gone by. You're looking at the likes of Suarez, Coutinho, Torres, who have who you felt who bought in to the ethos, only to have their head turned and go elsewhere. You get the impression now this is, you know, it's been flipped. These players are in the best possible place they can be in for playing the football they want to play. They're loved. Their manager loves them. They love playing for the manager. You know, Liverpool are at a stage of. It really can be go out and get who you feel that you want. Yeah. But at the same time, to touch on what we said earlier, this is not a club with an infinite war chest. I think there'll be shrewd movements in the in the summer. You'll be looking at the likes of. I mean, obviously, there's talk of Lalana on the verge of a move to Brighton. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think the Dejan Lovren is off for 11 million. He's off to Zenit St. Petersburg, and I don't think you'll see Zardan Shakiri in Liverpool shirt again. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, this the, these are all players who you know the three four players move will command 30 million pounds, and suddenly that frees up a little bit more. But to touch on what you said, it's you know you have to go out and get the right player, someone who you think is going to give you value over the next couple of years, someone you think is going to play for you and completely fit the system and demand. You know, you've seen players, Premier League players, tiring after 80 minutes. You need somebody who's going to be completely in a position to be physically conditioned to the way Klopp wants them to play. And you almost feel like their ability can be coached in the latter. They need to have the the physical capacity for what the demands of playing for Liverpool is. Because at the minute, it's... It's fighting on the domestic front and it's fighting on the European front. And if you're an under-23 player, it's fighting in the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And there are quite a lot of young players coming through, which is good, which will help fill out that squad. But as, as you mentioned, losing Lana, probably losing Shaqiri. Um, probably a couple of others might might leave. There's talk of Lovren going. They will need replaced in terms of the squad depth. So I think it definitely is somewhere that Liverpool need to improve on this summer. Definitely need to sign a couple of players. Hopefully they maintain and stick to their current philosophy and they don't, you know, just go and balloon some money on someone in desperation. But overall season, Sam, a phenomenal season for Liverpool Football Club. Certainly the best in the Premier League era with winning the league. You outdone your points tally of last year. There were certain games where it looked as though the pundits and the, the, the papers and whoever wanted you to lose, you came through with flying colours. Phenomenal season. What Closing thoughts just on this season as a whole. Yeah, it's, they've, they, they've far surpassed expectations, but they've also achieved what they set out to achieve in an ironic way. You know, they answered a lot of critics. Were, were they going to go the extra mile? Um, they've absolutely done that. They've proven it. But you know, in the nicest way possible. Yes, it's it's July, but you've done it. It's over. You've kicked the last ball. You know, you've you've updated your trophy. You know, you, you had 18 titles. You now have 19. You can talk about it if you want, but the prep starts now. So yeah. it's been a hell of a season. But the thoughts now have to turn to the first game of next year. Yeah, 100 percent. Well, Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've been wanting to do this Liverpool review for quite some time very very appropriate we've done it today as you dispatch Newcastle and move up to 99 points phenomenal season I really really appreciate your time and have a brilliant Sunday night whatever, you do, whatever you're getting up to and I'm assuming it's a few beers to celebrate a few beers match of the day pleasure as always Potsy yep. appreciate it always thanks Sam have a good one thank you for listening to the podcast with me your host Darren please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the podcast Thanks for your time, stay safe and tune in next time.